Motivation is a very important thing in the Christian life, in life in general. It's motivation that causes people to do great things, especially great things for God. Today kind of correlates with, with uh, our series that we've been doing with our, our youth class. And, uh, but I've adapted it, of course, for everybody here today. And if you can turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 12, we're just going to read the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm just going to start reading now in uh, Hebrews 12 now in verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Open with me now in a word of prayer as we begin our message this evening. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our service. Thank you for technology that we could still meet. But God, more importantly, thank you for the Bible for giving us something to read more about you, to study your character, to study who you are, how we can be and learn how we can be more like you. And Father, we, we desperately need you today, especially from home. I know how hard it is to pay attention to a service while sitting on your couch. It's, it's difficult. Lord, I do pray for those that are watching that they would be able to remove distractions and they would be able to listen to what you have for us this evening. Bless this message. Now we pray in your name. Amen. Wilma was born prematurely. She weighed only four and a half pounds at birth. She was sick most of her childhood, suffering from double pneumonia, scarlet fever, and polio, all before the age of two. She would later on in her life look back and say, I spent most of my time trying to figure out how to get off my braces. And I don't mean teeth braces. Because of her pneumonia and scarlet fever and polio, she began to lose feeling in one of her legs and eventually came to the point where she didn't really have any feeling at all. Thus, she was fitted with a metal brace. She did spend most of her life trying to get that brace off. And fortunately for her, she came from a large, wonderful family that helped her achieve these goals of her that she had. Wilma was one of 22 children from her father's two marriages. 22 children. I thought six in my family was a lot. And I know that's small to some families, but 22, that right there is, that's a basketball team and 
sub, uh, subs and coaches and water boys. That's a lot of people. She had 22 siblings, and each of them was very helpful with Wilma. In fact, their family did eventually go start going to church. And from what I could tell, a lot of their family ended up getting saved and serving the Lord. But back to the story here, Wilma's disability did affect her family. Her brothers and sisters would take turns daily massaging her crippled leg. And for years, Wilma underwent weekly therapy, requiring, requiring her mother to drive 90 miles round trip to the nearby hospital. Although these, these long drives would have normally robbed a young person of their determination to get better, Wilma refused to give up her dream of not only just running and jumping like a normal kid, but her goal of someday becoming an athlete. She was determined not to allow her disability to get in the way of her vision. Wilma was fortunate to have a Christian mother who often would say to her, Honey, the most important thing in life is for you to keep your faith in the Lord and to keep on going to accomplish your goals. By the time Wilma reached her 11th birthday, she had shed that brace from her leg. And by her 11th birthday, she was starting to play basketball with her brothers and sisters in the yard. After that, her mother said, it was basketball, basketball, basketball. Once she started playing basketball with her siblings, basketball was all she could do, was just play basketball, basketball, basketball. Wilma's older sister, Yvonne, was quite good at basketball, so Wilma began to play with her. When Yvonne and Wilma tried out for the school basketball team, Wilma didn't make the cut. But their father made a decision that would be pivotal in Wilma's life. He made Wilma go to all the games, feeling that Yvonne needed a, a chaperone. Because Wilma traveled with the team, though she wasn't playing or even on the team, she got to know the coach very well. <laughs> One day, Wilma gathered up the courage to issue this challenge to her coach. She said this to the coach. It wasn't even her coach at the time. But he said, Coach, if you will give me 10 minutes of your time every day, only 10 minutes, I will give you a world-class athlete. Pretty bold for, I, I believe she was 12 years old at this time. The coach took Wilma up on her challenge. And after a year of 10 minutes a day training with this coach, Wilma found herself a, uh, a starting position on the all-African-American Burt High School girls basketball team, where her coach, C.C. Gray, would give her the nickname Skeeter. Why Skeeter, you ask? He used to tell her, you're little, you're fast, and you're always in my way. Rudolph, would, uh, Wilma, would, be, would become an all-state player setting a Tennessee State record of 49 points in one game. That's pretty good. But when basketball season ended, she decided to try out for the track team. 
that decision turned out to be one of the most significant decisions of Wilma's life. It started when Wilma beat her best friend in a race. Then she started to beat every girl in her high school. Soon she beat every girl in the entire state of Tennessee. Wilma was only 14 years old and she found herself beating every opponent that challenged her. She'd come a long way since that leg brace. Ed Temple, the Tennessee State track coach, made a visit to Wilma's high school to see this little girl run. Couldn't believe her natural ability. When he asked her about it, she said, I don't know why I run so fast. I just run. She loved running so much, she started attending Ed Temple's daily practices at Tennessee State. Eventually, while still in high school, she was invited to join the Tiger Bells track team. This was at Tennessee State. Just a kid, just 14, 15 years old now, she's running alongside college athletes. Now, Ed Temple, he was also a sociology professor at Tennessee State. He was a tough coach, dedicated to his team. As a coach, which, by the way, was a volunteer position, Temple drove the team to different track meets in his own car and had the school track an unmarked and unsurfaced dirt oval lined at his own expense. Ed Temple, this was, he didn't get paid for his, his track experience for teaching these, these girls how to run, and yet at his own expense would drive them around and helped even create a, a dirt track with his own money. Temple was not a pushover. He made the girls run an extra lap for every minute they were late to practice. One instance in particular, Wilma slept in and was 30 minutes late to practice. And yes, she ran 30 extra miles, 30 extra laps, not miles, 30 extra laps that day. And according to her story on this, she says she was never late to practice again. 30 minutes early was her goal after that day. Now, Wilma continued winning short dashes and the 440-yard relay. Two years later, at the age of 16, Wilma was invited to try out for the Olympics. At 16, Wilma qualified and ran in the 1956 Games in Melbourne, Australia. She won a bronze medal. And her relay team, the 400-meter relay team, also placed third. Two bronze medals. The victory was bittersweet. Yes, she made the Olympics. She got the bronze. I would be happy if I even just got to be a fan in the stands at the Olympics, much less being an athlete and actually competing but she wasn't content with the bronze medal. She wanted the gold. She decided that she would try again in four years. Wilma knew that if she wanted to win the gold, she'd have to dedicate an enormous amount of time, commitment, and discipline if she wanted to win that gold. 
Wilma started daily training runs at 6 a.m., 10 a.m., and 3 p.m. Three times a day, she would train. She would train three times a day. How many of you wished you would just train three times a month? Anybody? Three times a day, she would train. She often would sneak down the dormitory fire escape between 8 to 10 p.m., past curfew, just to get in some extra running on the track before bed. For more than three years, a total of more than 1,200 days, Wilma maintained this punishing schedule of three to four times of training a day. Finally, 1960 arrived. The Rome Olympics was her stage. When Wilma walked out on the field, she was prepared. This would be her day. Nobody on that track was more prepared than Wilma. She was thrilled as 100,000 plus fans began to chant at Rome, Vilma, 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 as they sensed her spirit of victory. And might I add, she did not disappoint. Now, right now, we're going to watch an actual, the actual clip of Wilma running in two of the relays that took place in 1960. And this was found right on the Olympics uh, channel. So watch this quick video of her two amazing races. see it wasn't even a challenge for her she tied the world record of 11.3 seconds in the semifinals and then won the final by a total of over three meters in 11 seconds flat in the 200 meters she broke the olympic record in the opening heats and in 23.2 seconds and won the final in just 24 seconds and I didn't even show you, but there was, she also joined the, the ladies uh, four by four relay. And she being the anchor, the, the fourth person, 
the baton, there was a, a, something that happened in the handing off of the baton. She lost some time. She was able to, to make up the lost time and, and, and uh, finish in first place to win the gold. Three gold medals for Wilma in one Olympics time. Do you think it was all worth it? Do you think all those the three, four years of rigorous, rigorous activity and exercise, did it pay off? Did she accomplish her goal? <laughs> I would say so. Wilma became the highlight of the event. Ted, or Ed Temple, her coach, was quick to remind reporters that there were also three other medalists that won as well, not just her. Wilma Rudolph, being her full name, uh, was certainly the champion. Almost the entire 1960 Olympic team was coached by Ed Temple, her, her coach. And almost the entire Olympic running team also came from Tennessee State, from where she was. An amazing accomplishment, indeed. After the Olympics, when the team competed in Greece and England and Holland and Germany, it was the charming Wilma Rudolph whom fans wanted to watch perform. Sports Illustrated, uh, you name it, was all over the place. Her fame was just booming. She had done more for her country than anything the U.S. could have paid her for, said Ed Temple, her coach. Her soft-spoken, gracious manner, Wilma paved the way for African-American athletes to follow. There's more that could be said. The governor of Tennessee wanted to, was known for being an old-fashioned segregationist. When he decided to head up Wilma's victory celebration in her hometown, Wilma refused to attend because it was a segregated event. And that's how Wilma's victory celebration, which was called a parade and a banquet, became Clarksville, Tennessee's first inter integrated event to ever happen. This major parade that would take down, that would take place in her hometown. She was it. Among the many young African-American female athletes, Wilma inspired so many others to accomplish great things. Famous people like uh, Jackie Joyner, who would eventually also enter the 1988 Games and win some gold medals. I could go on and on about all the great things that she accomplished here on Earth. But Wilma's influence didn't just end at or around the Olympics. She was a mother of four children. She was a track coach at Indiana University, and she was a U.S. goodwill ambassador to French West Africa. She also created a not-for-profit community-based amateur sports program called the Wilma Rudolph Foundation. Well, a little more than a decade, a decade after the 1960s Olympics, Wilma Rudolph was voted into the Black Athletes Hall of Fame in 1973, and the National Track and Field Hall of Fame in 1974. And in 1977, NBC made a movie about her called Wilma. And I don't know if you're familiar with famous people, but uh, a guy named Denzel Washington, this was the very first movie he ever made. He played her, her soon-to-be husband in this film. It was his first movie he ever made. Really old, I've never actually seen it. But on November 12th, 1994, 1994, not that long ago. Actually, I guess it is long ago now. Wilma died of brain cancer at the age of 54. 
One of her 1960 Olympic teammates, Bill, summed up her life the best. She was beautiful, she was nice, and she was the best. Winning the gold takes motivation. Wilma needed motivation to get to, to accomplish everything that she was able to. Without motivation, we would not know who Wilma is today. The word motivation is almost synonymous with the name Wilma Rudolph. As a child, Wilma was motivated to walk. As a young girl, she was motivated just to run and play. But as a teenager, she was motivated to win. Wilma never took her eyes off her dream. The odds were against her. She was sickly. She didn't even have a leg that worked properly in her young childhood years. But her, her, she fixed her eyes on her goal, and she never looked away. What are you fixing your eyes on today? What goals do you have in life, or do you have any at all? And how easy is it to get your eyes off of your goal? When it comes to following Christ, sometimes we can become easily distracted. The Apostle Paul talks about this struggle right here in the book of Hebrews. We read this verse already, Hebrews 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love the word here in the New Testament, the word race. It says here in uh, verse, verse 1, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That word race uh, in, the, in the Greek, uh, agnon, or um, agne, not sure how it's pronounced, but it's where we get our word agony from. It means, the, okay, because a race is not easy, Although Wilma made it look really easy. I don't know about you. She didn't look like she was trying. But a race, a competitive race on a level like this, it's not something you just wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be in the Olympics. I think I'm going to try out today and see what happens. I think I'm going to join the football team. I think, I think I'm going to be this or be that. On a competitive level, that's not how it works. Because a true race of this caliber involves a bit of agony, a bit of struggle. A race is demanding, it's grueling, it's agonizing. And that's why the verse uses the word patience. Look at it, it says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That word patience just simply means endurance. It's something that takes time and effort to build up to it. It's not just something that happens like that. We need to keep it up at all costs in order to achieve our goals. Wilma was a great example of this. She never lost sight of her goal. She strove towards it 
with endurance, with patience. What's the key here? How did Wilma keep her focus? How was she able to keep her eyes on the prize? The key for Wilma was, well, her focus on her goal. She saw a goal, and in her heart, that, was, that had to be accomplished. A lot of times we make goals, but we don't really have a true desire within us to reach those goals. There's somewhere inside of us wants to reach those goals. We don't usually quite make it there. You know, you want to uh, you want a diet. You know, we've all made that. Maybe the kids haven't, but you know, you reach a certain age. We all make a goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna diet. Die, maybe is how we feel when we're trying to diet. Yeah, you know, we're gonna I'm gonna take this out of my diet, and we're not gonna go there anymore, and we're gonna do more of that and more of this. We have good intentions, but that's not it's not our focus. It's not our it's not high on our priority list. It's, it's, you know, if we can get around to it. But one day you hear you have cancer, or one day you hear you have uh, uh, high cholesterol, you have this or that. Now the motivation comes. Now, the, now that, that diet now gets pushed up a little bit higher on our priority list, the focus becomes real. The key for Wilma was her focus on her goal, and the key for us is where we focus. That's why the verse talks about keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus needs to be our focus in life. I remember when I was in high school, right before I came to college, I had this, this goal of mine I really wanted. In, uh, I had a couple of friends who were wanting to go into the military. And they were talking about different branches of the military. And, you know, one of them is the uh, Army Rangers. It just sounds cool, right? Army Rangers. And one of the, one of, in the Rangers, there's different uh, placements you could, you could enter into after you've finished boot camp. And for one specific um, group of people, I can't even remember exactly what it was, the Green Berets or something. I don't even know if that's in the Rangers. But it was something in there that he was looking to get into. And one of the requirements was you had to be able to run a 12-minute, two-mile uh, two run. So run two miles in 12 minutes. And that in itself is certainly not impossible. Many people can do it. It's certainly not easy, though. Not just anybody can do it. It's definitely something you have to work up to. Not to mention they have to do it in, you know, in their military clothes and army boots and those things. Well, anyway, I wanted that. I, that was a goal of mine. Before I went to college, I wanted to be able to run two miles in 12 minutes. And I found quickly that uh, I, I was also working for my dad newspaper, so I would, throw my, I would work from 3 to 6 in the morning, and then I'd get home, I'd go to bed. And as soon as I woke up to do school, I was just tired. I mean, that's a weird shift, right? Working from 3 to 6, and the rest of the day, I just... I was sluggish. I didn't have much energy. So I found the best time to run was when I, as soon as I got home from, from work. So right around 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, before I went to bed, that was the time I made myself run. The first couple of days were hard because I was tired, but eventually my body got used to that time of day. And I became really faithful with it. I really wanted to hit this goal before college because I just had a feeling as soon as I went to college, I'd probably get fat and lazy. So I wanted to make this goal. And I would, and for almost eight months, 
I worked at this goal. I worked at it. I worked at it. And I remember it was a couple of days before I left for college, and I hadn't quite hit my goal yet. I was close, but I wasn't quite there. And I was still a, I was still a good 15 seconds, 20 seconds off. I remember what I would do is from my house, I would run a mile. We lived on a country road, like a bunch of tractors and farmhouses were around. I'd run a mile, and then I'd run a mile back. And I had it all mapped out and timed. I knew exactly where the mile was. But I was having trouble hitting that 12-minute mark. I ran. I hit my mile. And I was on my way back. I was about halfway back. So give or take, uh, we'll, we'll go to meters now. Let's say I was close to five or 600 meters now away from home. And I'm feeling pretty good, but I know I'm not doing a whole lot better than I usually would be, maybe by a second or so. And as I'm running home, this, uh, I pass this street, and this tractor pulls out and starts driving alongside of me. And this tractor was a big tractor, real slow, and it was pulling a whole bunch of hay or something. So it was really loaded down, so it wasn't going very fast. And it was just going ahead of me, just a little bit faster than I was running. And I'm running, and I'm looking at this tractor thinking, hey, this is... This is the pace maybe that I need to finish. So I pick up the pace a little bit. And now I'm running neck and neck with the driver. And he kind of looked at me and he gave me a smile. And he kind of like saluted me. And then he put it up a gear higher and he started to speed up. I'm thinking, I'm racing a vehicle. I feel like Captain America or something. So I'm running and I'm thinking, oh man, like I'm not a car. Like I can't do this. But it was a really slow tractor. So I thought, what if, if I can't get my time, what if I could say I'd beat a vehicle? I won't tell people what the vehicle was, of course. So I'm running, and now I, I pick up the pace even more. And I'm only a few hundred meters now from home. I'm thinking, maybe this is my chance. And I catch up to the driver, and he looks at me and smiles again. And he goes a little bit faster. He's picking up the pace. I guess he has pride, too. He doesn't want to get beat by a human. So he's picking up the pace. And I always had a tradition, as soon as I hit the last mailbox before my house, I would run as fast as I could. And that was my way of finishing strong. I would run as fast as I could. That's what my dad would always do when he ran. So I kept the tradition. That mailbox came up. I was already running fast. I was winded. My lungs were burning. And he wasn't going faster now because I was just barely keeping up with him. And I hit the mailbox and I ran as fast as I could. Soon as I got past my house, I stopped running. I cooled off, and I looked at the tractor driver as he just kind of smiled at me and did his, signal, his salute, and he drove off. Never saw him again. I wasn't feeling too well, as you can imagine. My lungs were burning, and I looked at the time. I was just about three seconds off, so close to my goal, 12 minutes. But up until then, I was almost 20 seconds away. I just shaved 17 seconds off. Now in running, 17 seconds is like a year. That's so much time. Didn't quite get my goal, but that was the closest I had ever gotten. Why did I get so close? How did I get so close? Because I had motivation. I realized that day that if I had that tractor with me every day, I would have gotten my record in no time. I would have gotten to that 12-minute mark. Imagine, if you will, you're running now through life without really much motivation. 
You're just running. You have a, a hazy goal in mind, but you're not really, every day you're doing the same routines and you're not really getting much closer to your goal until motivation pulls up alongside of you. And like I said, for some, if you diet your motivation, maybe the doctor tells you, look, you don't start dieting, bad things are going to happen. There's motivation to diet. Ever wonder why parents can't get teenagers to do their homework or clean their room? Because they don't care. They don't have motivation to do it. They're only doing it because they have to. And then you get those random teens that become valedictorian. They actually try. They actually want it. They actually, and I'm sure there are times in life and there's time where they didn't want to do their homework. They didn't want to do this or do that. But it was their goal, their motivation to just do their best in their studies. Motivation is a very important thing in the Christian life, in life in general. It's motivation that causes people to do great things, especially great things for God. Dads, moms, what's your motivation to get up every morning and go to work? Your family, right? Providing for your family to get money so you could, your, your kids can live. If it was just up to you, you probably would just change careers and get something maybe a little less. But no, you want the best for your families. That's, that's what drives you to get up. Some, some, I applaud moms who work full time and try to be a, a good mom to their kids. You never get a break. You're exhausted. You're tired. But what gets you up the next day? Your kids, your family. That's motivation. That's what drives you and pushes you to keep doing what you're doing, to keep being the best that you can be. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, what greater motivation is there in life to be like Jesus? When we remember what he did for us, dying and raising again, we read this here in, in Hebrews 12 too. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did it all for you and for me today. How about that for motivation? Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith, the beginning and the end. He gave his life. He did it all for you. Yet sometimes we as Christians, we struggle to do even the little things in the Christian life. The devotions, the prayer, the, the little things in life, the family devotions, the things that we know we should do witnessing and telling people about the Lord, those things aren't little, mind you. Those are this, the foundation of the Christian faith, of, of why we even are here left on earth. But we look at them as little. Oh, witnessing, that's little. Oh, Bible reading and prayer, I know it's important, but on my priority list, serving God is down below. And we know in our hearts it's important, but why is it so much so that that which is important to God is not our highest priority? Our focus is off. Our motivation, though it's on good things, it's not in the right place. The level of which we have things placed is not where it should be. Think of that day when Jesus will say to you, I know you love me because I've seen your devotion. I've seen what you've done for me. And Jesus crowns us with a crown. He gives us, excuse me, a crown for all the work that we did. Wilma worked her whole life just to get a, a medal wrapped around her neck. 
Are we living for God so that one day he could wrap a medal around our neck? For the service that we've done unto him? You're running through life. What's motivating you? What's your tractor in life to live for God? You could stand before God someday and he'll look at your resume and say, well, you did good in this job and this job and this job. What'd you do for me? Oh, well, I was providing for my family. Those are good, but this one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are we doing for him? What's important to God? Yes, providing for family. Yes, those things are important, but what are we doing in our witness for God? in our personal daily life with Jesus Christ? How close are we to him? Where is our motivation today? What are you motivated for in our service to the king? As you think about Wilma, Rudolph, and even the many Old Testament winners of Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter right before this, you look at that list in the Hall of Faith, and even about Jesus, I pray that you will ask God to help you get rid of distractions in your life and help you to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, to keep our motivation in the right place and in the right place. God, thank you for today, for this time that we've had here to study your word. Thank you for people like Wilma Rudolph. Lord, though I, I didn't read a whole lot, couldn't find a whole lot about her, her, accomplish, her spiritual accomplishments, Lord, physically, she gives us a good example. A girl who is willing to do everything she possibly could just to run. What are we willing to do to live for the King of kings and Lord of lords? Lord, we are unworthy. But help us, Father, to keep our priorities in the right place. Give us motivation to serve you with our life. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And Lord, help us just to keep our eyes on you right now through this time. We pray in your name. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.